The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Today on Thinking Out Loud, Pastor Walt McFadden will be talking about being a servant, talking about deacons and how they serve the church. It's one of the more controversial issues probably within the world around us. Nobody wants to be a servant, they want to be served. And yet the scripture is very clear, we are called to be servants. Life matters, and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, today on Thinking Out Loud, I'd like to ask you about the text found in your sermon recently uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. This is a section of scripture that talks about deacons. You said that servanthood is what the church is all about, and it should be expected, and it should be honored. Servanthood, however, is countercultural in our society. How should this be addressed from pastors today? Directly, <laughs> bluntly, not crassly, but it's interesting. I have became pastor of a Spanish-speaking church, and their DNA and their culture is quite different. They also are concerned that people don't just come into the church and get a title, but they also learn to serve, so they emphasize serving. And one of the first things that they do is when you come into the church, you sit and you observe for about a six-month period before you can begin to serve. And I thought about that. Is there a biblical pattern there? Because it says that the deacon cannot be chosen until they've been proven. Mm -hmm. So obviously there has to be a track record of servanthood already. But I wonder how often we miss it in the American church that we don't give people some kind of a testing period. You and I discussed this a little bit earlier today in regards to church plants. They attract people who are looking to get high up quickly in the hierarchy of the church. And so a church plant is a place where they can begin and get a title very quickly. The church through the 70s and 80s went through a transformation. Somebody told me something that I think it's worth thinking about, that men came back from the war, World War II, and they built churches, and those churches were finished in, the say, 45 to 55, somewhere in that range, and then there was nothing for them to do. 
and men have been looking for something to do in the church ever since. And I wonder if there should be some type of a system of serving in the church. I see this in this Latin church. The men are so invested in the church. They're there all the time. They're teaching. They're serving. They clean the church. And it really builds camaraderie and friendship among them. For the American church, we have done this 180 where we've changed from serving the church to the church serving you. So the goal is to get as much staff to create as many goods and services. Now, I'm sure that churches have volunteer groups and volunteer coordinators, but how much of the church is is idle? I'm sure it's a significant amount of the church culturally is idle. I think they say 80-20 rule, which is 80% do very little and 20% do all the work. But at City View, the church in which you are the senior pastor, how do you handle deacons or servanthood? Let's just say servanthood, i.e. deacons. I mean, there's there's a trend and has been for some time that deacons are put on the deacon council and have the title if they are business people or they have resources, because that seems to be what deacons do. They serve by managing the church. What do you use for criteria for that? Character is number one, and that's what Paul is saying here in this text. And really, every single one of those requirements have to do with character. Character is of utmost importance in everything in the church. And you're right, we failed in this, and we've put people in charge just because of their natural talent, not because of their spiritual character. And it gets the church into trouble. It does. So you also talked about parish ministry. Now, in evangelicalism, we usually don't talk about parishes. We talk about congregations. But you took that term parish from the Catholics, who generally think of a certain geographical area as their parish, and they shepherd that area. And I think that's a good model. However, in the inner city these days, so many of these parish areas, churches, they're losing congregations and these buildings are being sold. It it no longer is a cultural idea anymore for church planting because there's nobody coming to church in the city, right or wrong. Absolutely. There are whole neighborhoods with thousands of people that have no evangelical witness, and that's multiplying out many times over. There is a ray of hope. There are churches that are committing to geographical areas. I like to think of us as one. About two-thirds of the people in City View Church live in Minneapolis. Not so many right here directly in the central neighborhood, but we're gaining more people from the community. But that leaves communities neglected. It's the suburban mentality. I want to go to a place where there's space. I can spread my wings. There's room to grow. We can build buildings. There's ample parking, all of those kinds of things, which it's not possible in the city. We're finding that the cost of buildings is astronomical, and sometimes it's we were seeing change in economics here where it's more profitable to tear down a building and build something brand new. So we see... Several single-family homes will be torn down, and then condominiums will be built up or low-rise will be built up. And we let these properties go, and they will never, ever be acquired again because of things like the parking rules. And uh, I was told that the church where I was at previously, when it was built, 
you had to have one parking space for every 10 attenders or 10 seats in your church. And if that church were to be rebuilt today, it would be one parking space for every two seats. Mm -hmm. So you can see, and I've seen many churches have tried to build on empty lots, and number one, they get outbid. Number two, they just can't pass the zoning laws for the city. So church, the church has to work together, cooperate, and start thinking about geographical areas. I was a part of a group of church planters a few years ago, and it was very productive to see, you know, who's in this neighborhood, who's targeting this neighborhood. And I wish there would be more cooperation in the church together. But the parish mentality of a church serving a neighborhood and serving a community. You pastored the church I'm pastoring now previously, and as I understand, there was some effort at the time for you to do like an adopt-a-block so people would do does that ring a bell? And yeah, we did that. Mm-hmm. Try to adopt a block, and certain people went out and handed out literature or did whatever, you know, to get people to be involved in inviting neighbors that live around the church to come to church. And, you know, it was mildly successful. I mean, but here's the question I want to ask you, because it's a lot easier going to a all-white community, say, in the suburbs, or an all-ethnic community, one one ethnic community, than it is to try to reach your parish mentality with multicultural communities and different languages, different cultures. I mean, it's just a lot harder, is it not, than if you went out to Maple Grove or one of our suburbs. Most of the people out there are one ethnicity. They're of probably of middle class, you know, and so you just target those folks. It seems easier. At least it, to me, it would seem easier. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that and a lot that the church needs to change. One of them is that it's harder to reach converts cross-culturally. And at some point, the church dropped the ball. It was multi-ethnic at one time, and the bridge between the most hostile, which was Jew and Gentile, was bridged, and then that was lost. And I don't know exactly where it was lost, but the mission of making disciples was lost, of multi-ethnic ministry was lost. And I was just having this discussion again and thinking about what is the value of street evangelism or crusade evangelism and looking for a decision for Christ. How effective is that? How long does it last? Because we know that very few people are led to Christ in crusades or street evangelism. Most often it is through relationship. And there's been a lot of discussion in the church over the last 10 years, and I think it's good discussion, about discipling people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Certainly, the disciples, when they first started following Jesus— did not see him as their Lord and Savior. They saw him as a teacher, as a, a, or the Jewish word rabbi, somebody to look up to, somebody to follow. Later on, they saw him as the Lord of all. And I wonder if the church needs to make spaces. I, I don't like the seeker movement because the seeker movement to me is entertainment-based. But I wonder if the church needs to make more space where we disciple people into Christ. And servanthood is an area where that can happen. I've heard of some churches that provide servant opportunities, doing social work, 
or doing neighborhood cleanup or whatever it is, and unbelievers are invited into that, uh, there are mission strips that are designed to bring unbelievers to sort of experience, you know, what would a Christian do on a mission trip? And we've talked about some of those things at City View. That that um, that whole heart of serving is has damaged the witness of the church because we become very self-centered. We've become worldly. We've become materialistic. We don't like to be inconvenienced. We don't like to have to go out of our way. I've had churches come down from the suburbs and serve. The majority, it's been great. They, but there's a few that have come with kind of an entitlement mentality. Hey, can we take pictures and we need this exact set time to come and we want everything prepared when we get down here. It has to be, uh, it, the, the culture of the church has to change. Church-wide, all over the place, we have to start thinking about what is true biblical Christianity, and servanthood is a part of that. It's in the mission of Jesus himself. He said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve, and he served the disciples. And the pastor is not to be served by the people. He is. He should be appreciated, he should be paid well, he should be respected and honored, but the church isn't there to serve the pastor and help him build his little kingdom. I just keep thinking about him mulling over Paul's words that he, the word that he used, which was, I am a bondservant of Christ. And even saying that he's a bondservant of people in the church, he's attached to the people to serve them. And so he works hard at studying and praying and reading in order to serve the congregation. And, and his ultimate work is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, which is to serve one another. You have gotten kind of a reputation, at least what I can gather, that you are a different type of pastor because you pastor a multicultural church in the heart of the city. Yet there must be problems that you face that, say, a person pastoring a church in the suburbs does not face. What would be those type of problems? That's a very good question. The problems that we face, a good example right now is social justice. Some people will see the world one way and other people will see it a different way. And I have to try to uncover what is the biblical approach to social justice. Because of their past experiences, they have a different perspective, their ethnicity, their culture, all of these things. And and you used a word when you asked me the question, you said that I pastor a multicultural church, which I do, but my goal is not multicultural. I don't like that word. My goal is monocultural, multi-ethnic. I want to bring a multiplicity of eth- ethnicities together into the culture of the Bible, which is a culture of servanthood, of love, of sacrifice, even if it means that I don't get everything that I want out of a church. I f- see these efforts For example, there is another church here in the Twin Cities that has bilingual service. So there is the message in Spanish, and then it's interpreted, and people on both sides will leave. I don't want that. I I don't want the service to go longer. I don't. But they're not willing. Everybody says that they want diversity until they get it, and then because they realize how hard diversity really is. So that that's one example, and there are even even the. The issue of the pandemic, I pastoring this Spanish-speaking church, it is 
unquestionable to them that they would get the vaccine. And I haven't gotten the vaccine. And they're, what, what, why would you, why would you not get the vaccine? You're disobeying the government, uh, Romans 13, 1. So there are these kinds of things that we have to learn to navigate through. And we've made it pretty easy on ourselves by doing exactly what you said. Many, many churches, probably hundreds of churches have left just the Twin Cities alone and gone for greener pastures in suburban areas. And it's left a, a big hole in the city. Now, you don't find yourself in a position, and I know you don't because I've heard you say this, that I'm going to preach on issues in the culture as much as I am about the gospel and how the gospel affects our lives inwardly. But people want you to talk about critical race theory. They want you to talk about race and the vaccine and all these issues that we see in the news every day. You have refused. Why? Well, because... If we're talking about the subject of servanthood, I'll have to frame this carefully because I'm, I'm even processing. I'm thinking out loud, Larry. That's the title well, of the podcast. Of course you are. I'm thinking out loud, but most of that requires servanthood, that I die to myself, that I, that I lay down my own personal wishes or desires, my political view, in order to get to the heart of the gospel. The gospel starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. We lay our lives down first to God and then to one another. And if I if I get in too deep with these different discussions and I could frame all of my sermons around the newspaper headlines, but the Bible itself has an answer to every one of those. And what I want to un- uncover are principles. It's sort of like a couple comes to me and they want marriage counseling. What they want really is me to referee and so I'll listen to their complaints and I'll tell them, stop it, stop it right now. I'm not here to referee. If all you want me to do is just take care of one issue after another, then I'm not your counselor. What I'm going to tell you is, husband, love your wife, wife, respect your husband. Now try to figure that out and don't make exceptions for it. Well, I'll respect him if this happens or I'll love her if this happens. No, just do your job. And that's what I'm trying to do with the church. This is what the scripture says. Now walk in it and obey it and think deeply about the application in your life. You can't divide over coronavirus, for example, because the scripture forbids that. That's not a reason to leave a church. But tens of thousands of people have left their church because of the church's view on coronavirus either way. That's a that's an indictment on the church in America. That is a lack of servanthood, laying down my life for one another. You said in your sermon that serving was preceded by testing, and the test was for the servant to prove themselves blameless. So what does that look like, that blameless? I mean, does a servant need to be blameless? That's a loaded word, isn't it? It's a big word. Wow. I think I just never would have imagined blameless as a servant. I just thought, hey, you had a willingness to serve. You're all in. But no, it says a servant should be blameless. What what does that mean? What I think it means is that it has to do with reputation. There's nothing in me. I'm above reproach is another biblical word that would fit well in there. There's nothing in my motives, nothing in my behavior that would cause a negative mark against the Christian faith. And how does that have to do with servanthood? If you're out there and if you're serving, if you're representing the church, but you have character issues and character flaws, that damages 
the gospel. And we've seen this more and more over the last few years. There's been a resurgence of moral failures by pastors. And something that has been added that's new is abuse of power. Of course, that's happened various times in history, but it seems to to sort of risen to the top of the list as the why pastors are experiencing moral failures. And people are, are beginning to wake up and recognize that they have sacrificed the reputation of the church and the character of the church, the heart of the church, uh, the servanthood, the servant nature of the church that Jesus Christ requires. It's really a discipleship issue. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ or are you in this just for the entertainment? Transfer that over to leadership. Are you building your own kingdom? What were the two things that you, you said today when we were at lunch? You mentioned that you know, there's there's problems with pastors, and one of them was they're trying to build their own kingdom. So can I ask you, what, what do you mean by that? I think sometimes what I've discovered over the course of time, and I've, I've had a lot of interaction with uh, pastors through interviews and so forth and radio and podcasts, and I found that pastors oftentimes are more narcissistic. So they're they're more about serving themselves than they are the Lord. That's what a narcissist is. It's a self-serving individual. It's basically built on pride. And we know what the Lord says about prideful people. And he resists them. And yet we find that most of the very successful pastors, not all, but there are a lot of them that are narcissistic. That's always a little bit disconcerting to me because if they're leaders and they're narcissistic, how are they going lead. It isn't a servant. It isn't, you know, in the area that I think God expects us to live with one another. I affirm that, and I'll finish the podcast with this, that to me it is a discipleship issue, meaning how do we disciple people into walking in Christ-likeness? That's the goal. The goal is Christ-likeness. And it is an indictment on the worldliness of the American church. What do I mean by worldly? Because we used to associate that with drinking and smoking and going to movies back in the holiness days. Mm. Worldliness is attachment to the world and doing things the way the world does them. And one thing that has really struck me, I've been spending a lot of time meditating through the Sermon on the Mount, and there Jesus says, your reward is in heaven. My narcissistic behavior points to an investment here in the world and not an investment in the heaven. So I want credit for everything. I want to be on the top. I want everybody to praise me for being this wonderful pastor. I don't want to suffer in any way. All of that is uh, an issue of wanting my reward now. And as a pastor, as a believer overall, any believer, my reward is in heaven. I don't want to lose my reward. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor Walt McFadden. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.